This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Got Brother Charles to give you a handout, and this is just an introduction. We won't, won't actually get into the first chapter yet, but I want to give you this introduction because it's very important to realize what's going on in the book of Jonah. A lot of people find this story in the Bible a little hard to swallow. I guess that's a pun on words, isn't it? But before we get real deep into the book of Jonah, I want to uh, get some background about it. I want you to see some things that we're going to see together. Because I know if you've ever attended church, Sunday school, even as a child, you've always heard the story in the book of Jonah. And the, the prophet Jonah's account of a remarkable experience. The storms he had he was in at the sea. He was, all, yes, eaten by, by a fish. And we found also plants that miraculously grow and die in one day. But the lessons go much deeper than those things. So I don't want you to think that that's all it is to it. Uh, but let me, let me tell you some things that we will see in the book of Jonah. And that's from Jonah's perspective we have an opportunity to do a spiritual checkup. You know, that's always good to do. We all have to do that. In fact, they're going to get the Scripture on the screen, Psalm 139.23. This is a Psalm from David. David knew about sin. Well, no doubt about that. He knew that he, when sin would come into the picture in his life, he knew that he had done wrong. He had done many things that that the Lord God wasn't pleased with. But uh, Psalm 139, verse 23. They got the, they got 130. Yeah, the Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now that's a hard prayer to pray to God. And you, and you better be ready when you pray that prayer. When you're asking God, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. That is a spiritual checkup. When, if you want to know how good you're doing spiritually, you ask God to do that. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will certainly give you a spiritual checkup. And you will know real quick where you are standing with God, spiritually. And we're going to find that out when it comes to Jonah. Let me tell you, he had to do some searching of his own heart. Now, what else will we find in the book of Jonah? We'll learn how to truly forgive and love our enemies. Truly forgive. Let's get Matthew 6.14 up there. When it comes to forgiveness, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's not easy always forgiving people for the things they say, the things they do, the way they act towards us. And even people that are sinners that we know are living in sin and the way they act, do we love still love them? Do we still forgive them? Do we still pray for them? We should. All of these things we'll find out as well in the book of Jonah. Jonah is going to find out he's not only going to have to do what God wants him to do, but he's going to have to see that God can forgive 
even if He can't. And that's a lesson that we all can learn. I may not be able to put, put it in the past what someone has done to me, said to me. I may have a hard time once again loving them like I used to love them. But the problem is i got to step back and realize God will forgive them and God will love them and He expects me to do the same. Now, the third thing that we'll find out in the book of Jonah is do we run away from the Lord about certain issues? Do we run away from those things? And that began all the way back. I began to think about this and I went all the way back to Genesis and let's talk about running away from the Lord. Genesis 3, you know the account of Adam and Eve, verse number 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They were hiding. They used to be anxiously waiting for God to come down every day. But all of a sudden, they're hiding from the presence of God. Look at verse number 9. The Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you, Adam? Where are you at? Now God knew where he was at. He could still see him, no matter how much they hid. But he asked the question, Where are you at? And then look at verse 11. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And if we went on and on in that chapter, of course, God said, well, who told you you was naked? Who told you? How did you, you know, come up with this idea that you need to hide? You need to run. You need to not be out here in, in the open with me. And that, of course, was sin. Sin came in the picture. And so we're going to find when things come in our life, do we run away from the Lord? A lot of times that's what happens, you know, people get... They get sidetracked in life and they get, they get into something they shouldn't get into and you find them not in church no more. And I guarantee you they're not in their Bible no more. They're not talking to the Lord. What they're doing, they're running. They're hiding. And so what would, they, what would we find Jonah doing? Running. He's going to run. He's going to try to do all that he can to get away from what God's called him to do. We cannot hide from the Lord. We might as well face the Lord. We might as well get it right with the Lord and move on in our spiritual life. So the answer, of course, to these type of questions and these subjects are going to be different for every individual, and yet God personally knows the answers to each of us. So we're going to see in, in Jonah's story and I gave you a handout, Brother Charles passed it out for me, and several things in there you'll see uh, about these certain things that we talked about. We can learn to trust God in His final decisions. Some of these statements I wanted you to remember, so I put them down here. We can learn to trust God in His final decisions. You see, God's decision is really all that matters, not ours. The best decision we can make is decide we want Him as our Savior. Decide we want to trust God and let Him come into our life. That's the best decision we'll ever make. But after that, then it's God's decisions and we need to give our concerns to Him. We need to realize He has desires for every person here and every person 
uh, on this earth, and he wants to reunite with us. He's, he's going to prepare a place for us. It didn't say anybody's particular name, anybody's particular color, or anything else. It's going to prepare a place for us. And that's what he wants. And the thing is, we need to realize there's no one too far for him to reach. Jonah's going to find that out. So a little bit of identification uh, to who Jonah is. I'll get them to put 2 Kings 14.25. Verse 1 of Jonah, of course, it says it just a little bit, but this explains it so much better in 2 Kings 14.25. And it identifies who uh, Jonah is. He's the son. It says, He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of God, Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was Geth Helper. So this is who he is. He lives in an area that's near Nazareth. It's also later to be known as Galilee. And so it is very important that we realize who Jonah is. This, this makes Jonah one of the very few prophets who hailed from the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, why? Why is the prophet Jonah so important? And this is interesting. I put it in your notes. Jonah was one of only four writing prophets that Jesus mentioned by name during his earthly ministry. So for Jesus to mention him along with some others here, it must be very important that we pay attention to his life. The other ones were Isaiah, Daniel, and Zechariah. But Jonah received more than just mention his name. You got to really realize the comparison that Jesus puts in his word that compares to Jonah. Jonah, of course, Jesus identified himself with the prophet's three-day journey in the belly of that great fish, and it foreshadowed Jesus' own death three days in the heart of the earth before his resurrection. So let's get Matthew chapter 12. And we want to look at a few verses here, starting at verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And I want you to pay attention to that word sign because we're going to talk about it and it's very important. Verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But look at this. There is no sign to be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Wow. Of all the people he could have mentioned and said, he said the only sign that's going to be here is the sign of the prophet Jonas. To the who? evil and adulterous generation. All right, verse number 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with his generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. 
So you see, we begin to see the identification and the comparison between Jonah and Jesus. And that's what we want to really focus on uh, as, we get in, as we get farther here in this introduction here. So the Pharisees, and the interesting part is, they wanted a sign. They asked Jesus for a sign. Why did they want a sign? Supposedly, so that they could know for sure that Jesus was the Messiah. We need a sign. We need something that, that we know that you're Jesus, that you're the Son of God. Now, were they seeking to really know Jesus? No. They were not. Because when you think about it, there had already been so many proofs that Jesus was Lord. He had already done so many miracles. He had done so many different things, miraculous works, and it didn't change their mind. It didn't make them step back and say, oh, this is the Son of God. No. They did not. So because they had decided already not to believe Jesus, and Jesus knowing their hearts, He said, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign, I'm not going to do no great miracle here in front of you. The only sign that you're going to have is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so we'll see what the meaning of that sign of Jonah is all about. What is it about? A sign. Well, let's talk about that word, a sign. There are two words that we have definitely uh, want to look at and define when it comes to the word sign. The Pharisees asked for a sign. They wanted a miraculous sign. They wanted some miracle that Jesus would do. That would say, yes, you're the Savior. You've been sent from God. Actually, the word sign is often translated by the word miracle in the New Testament. So a sign can be a miracle. It can be. And that's what they wanted, really. They just wanted to show. They just wanted to see something. Not, not, they wasn't going to believe, and Jesus knew that. But in several other verses, it refers to signs that are not necessarily supernatural events and not necessarily miracles. Sometimes it can be used as not supernatural at all. But the word sign that the Pharisees asked for is also expressed in the sign of Jonah. And that's what he was saying to them. So the sign of Jonah, it's not on a miraculous thing that's going to take place, but Jonah went through and what Jonah came out of and how the Lord continued to use Jonah. In the Bible, a sign is something that you can see with your own eyes and it conveys a message. And let's, let's think of it. We're right here at Christmas time. Go to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 12. It's the Christmas story. Now look at this. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That was the sign. Now, it wasn't a miracle. Now, the, the birth of Christ was my miracle because it was virgin born. But he didn't, even, he didn't even mention that in this verse about that's what it's all about as far as the sign. He said the sign, he's talking to these shepherds. The sign's going to be when you follow that star and you get to a place where the Christ shall, you're going to find the building 
You're going to find the door. You're going to walk in that barn or wherever they are walking into and you're going to see the sign. And the sign is Mary will be there with a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and that babe will be lying in a manger. That was the sign. So it was a definite sign that they would see, the shepherds would know that this is the Savior. They, they, didn't, they wouldn't walk in and, and say, well, we need some other sign. No, they would, they would say, this is it. This is what the angels spoke of. They believed it. That's much different from what the Pharisees were looking for. Now, the sign also can be on a negative connotation. Look at Matthew 26, 48. Let me show you another sign that took place. Now, he that betrayed him, saying, betrayed him, gave them a sign, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. That's, of course, Judas betraying Jesus. And what was the sign? He wasn't going to walk over there and say, this is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. No. He said, you just watch me. This is going to be the sign. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to reach around there and I'm going to give him a kiss on the cheek. And that's your sign. That he's the one that you're supposed to take. So a sign doesn't have to be a miracle. Doesn't have to be miraculous. But it's something that people can see. Something that they can identify with. And when the soldiers saw that, they knew he was the one to arrest and the one to take. So the scribes and the Pharisees said to Jesus, give us a sign that we can see, that there'll be proof who you claim to be. And Jesus said, nuh-uh. To the evil and adulterous generation, no sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah. And I want to ask you today, do we still live in an evil and adulterous generation today? You better believe it. It's all around us. And that word generation, that's an interesting word too, because when the Lord says this generation, who's He talking about? Is the Lord talking about the Jews that were there right there right then when He said those words? Is that it? Is that His generation He's talking about? If that is the case, does it mean that only people in Jesus' day are going to receive the sign of Jonah? and that the future generations won't have no sign. No. We have to understand when Jesus spoke of generation, Jesus uses it, does not have the same meaning that we use it in our English today. You see, in the English language, generation usually refers to a group of people belonging to a certain period of time. And today, it's usually considered 30 years. Many times you hear the younger generation. Then people talk about the older generation. So it's like we kind of divide it up in 30 years as we go along. This is a generation. This is a generation. This is a generation. So when the New Testament, this generation, it refers to a whole class of people. There's no reference to a certain time. So that's why I know when Jesus said those words, a sign will not be given to an evil and adulterous generation except Jonah. 
then that means Jonah, the word in the word of God, this lesson about Jonah is for all generations. It's for all people of all times until Jesus comes. We live in an evil and adulterous generation. People, people have served, gone and served other gods, other things. Other things are more important to them than serving God. We can tell that by our church houses today. You know, I wish every pew was full every time the doors were open. But people, they don't have a longing to come to God's house and receive God's Word. And, and this day that we live in, we certainly need to realize God still in the saving business. He still wants to reach people. And we have to keep on keeping on for the Lord. So this sign, this means that Jesus speaks about this generation. It's not referring to just the Jews. It's not referring to just those that are there that day. But the sign of Jonah is not only for, it was for those people there, but Jesus says it's for everyone. Now, let's think about another sign, the sign of the resurrection. Here it is that Jonah is the sign. No sign shall be given the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what about Jonah? Let's put him here. Let's put him in this whole situation of the sign. What did Jonah do? He spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. He should have died there. He shouldn't have been able to, to live through that. But he did. And he not only lived through it, God not only kept him alive, but changed his heart while he was in there and he repented and he began to do what God called him to do. And so his, he, just like Jonah was in there for three days and three nights, Jesus was in the heart of the earth. So the point of comparison is between Jonah and Jesus. And it's between the Ninevites and the generation today. What happens? What's going to happen with those Ninevites? Those wicked Ninevites. They're going to hear the Word of God. They're going to receive the Word of God. They're going to repent. What does our generation need to do today? They need to hear God's Word. They need to repent of their sins. They need to live for the Lord. So, Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, He's a sign unto us. We saw that a sign must be something that we can see. It's not just a message. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't there when Jesus was, came out of the tomb. Was you? <laughs> we weren't there, were we? Three days and three nights. It's a clear reference to the resurrection. Jesus will be buried for three days, three nights. Then He will rise again from the dead. Is the resurrection the sign that Jesus is talking about? Many people still have that question. Well, how can the resurrection be a sign since we weren't there to see the resurrection? If a miracle performed in front of you, then that miracle can serve as a sign. But who has seen the resurrection? Disciples saw it. They, they saw that nobody was in the tomb. 
Mary saw it. The women saw it. They came running to the tomb that day. After Jesus was seen by many after that. So you got to remember that the resurrection is a sign. You remember in John chapter 11, I don't have time to, to go to these verses, to go through these verses, else we'll never, never make it through. But in John chapter 11, you remember Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and He did it in front of many people. You remember what, what His sister said, Lord, if You had not tarried, if You'd have been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus tarried so that when He got there on the scene, they would know, they would see a sign and know that He was the Son of God. And when He arrived on the scene, He said, take me down there where He's at. And He called His name and Lazarus came forth. A lot of people saw every bit of that miracle. They saw that. It became a sign to them that Jesus was who He said He was. On another occasion, he raised the daughter of Jairus. She was dead, but he returned her to life. Many people saw that sign. You remember the third occasion, he actually stopped a funeral procession. Can you imagine that? Here they are taking someone to be buried, and Jesus says, stop right here. Well, right here. We're not going to cemetery today. And he raised the widow's son of name. He raised that man to life. And again, can you imagine that whole crowd going to the funeral and everybody along the street saw what Jesus did. So they realized they had seen the power of a resurrected Jesus. And as for Jesus' own resurrection, many people did not see that. But Jesus, when He was talking about the signs, you remember, He he clarified it. He said, I'm here to tell you this evil and adulterous generation that are seeking a sign, they don't really want to know who I am. They're not going to believe it. I don't care what I do. Thank God there were many that did believe. There were many that did see what Jesus did. But the disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection. But this evil and adulterous generation, did you realize that everything that went on, I believe even the, even the crucifixion and the resurrection, there were a lot of people all over that town that never knew any of that was going on. Now, there's some, some things happened in the sky and on the earth that shook them up. What's, what's going on here? What's this earthquakes and darkness and I, what, what, and, and I'm sure that shook them up. But they didn't fall on their knees. Many of them didn't fall on their knees and say, wow, this, this is Jesus. No. They remained an, an evil and adulterous generation. But Jesus didn't give up on them. He said, there's going to be a sign to you, and that's the sign of Jonah. Let's compare Jesus and Jonah together here. Let's think about the sign of Jonah, the comparisons with Jesus. And as soon as we compare Jonah with Jesus, I think it's just like black and white. We can see a big difference. We can see a total difference. Jonah was the prophet of the Old Testament who ran away from God after he was called to preach to Nineveh. 
And even after his amazing experience in the belly of the whale, after being saved from that situation, we find that he did preach to the Ninevites and they repented. And guess what? Jonah got angry. <laughs> got angry. I don't want to see these people saved. I don't want to see these people forgiven and set free. I don't want that. Lord, help us if we are in that boat. We may look at people and know what they have done, know how they act or what they do, but let me tell you something. God's still in the saving business and He wants to save everyone that will give Him an opportunity to save. We should not be in that predicament where we judge them. Jonah wasn't happy with the results of his preaching because he knew that God would spare Nineveh. So what comparison can we make between Jonah and Jesus? How was Jonah a sign? How was Jesus going to serve as a sign? And I, don't, I didn't talk to these guys back here. I don't know if they can do this or not. If they're not, we'll just do one verse and then the other verse. But if they could put one verse over top of another, that'd be great. But I want to look at Matthew 12, 40. And Luke eleven thirty, Matthew twelve forty, and Luke eleven thirty. Now, we can probably just do one and then the other if they can. But let's compare these verses. For as Jonas was three days, three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Luke eleven thirty. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man be to this generation. That's the comparison. Jonah became a sign. He spent three days. He spent three nights in the fish. And notice that Jonah became a sign to who? To the Ninevites. Can you imagine the story he had to tell? <laughs> Washed up on that little seaweed hanging off of him? The smell of being inside of a fish? and walking up to them and trying to preach to them? Can you imagine what they, what they thought and what they heard? And he, he gave them the story. He would be the sign to the Ninevites. And not only after that, but because of the event that took place. And that's what we have to realize when we're doing this comparison with Jonah and Jesus. The same way Jesus becomes a sign to this generation, to you and to me. And what is it? We serve a risen Savior. We talk about His crucifixion, His resurrection. You know, the, probably the three most important things is His virgin birth, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. Those three things is what sets apart every other religion. Nobody else, all these people that people, all these people that make themselves gods, that make themselves important, that people serve, people bow down to, people worship, are they were they virgin born? Did they die on a cross for everyone else's sins? Did they rise again the third day and was seen of many and received back up into heaven? No. Every other religion, every other person that people serve and worship, 
They were born just like anyone else and they died just like anyone else and that's where they remain. Never to live again. And we need to realize that's the important sign. That's the important difference when it comes to Jesus. And that's the message to this generation. Just as Jonah became a sign after the event, so Jesus becomes the sign to us after his resurrection. I'm glad I can witness to somebody and tell them, listen, I'm going to tell you about someone that died for you, arose again for you, and that preparing a place for you, and by his blood, your sins can be forgiven, and you can be saved and have a home in heaven. Will you be perfect? No. None of us are that. But thank God that blood still cleanses every sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's another point that I want to mention when it comes to Jonah. Jonah was literally baptized in water. <laughs> literally. And he was spit out on the ground and rose again to new life. Inside of the fish, you talk about thanksgiving. <laughs> so Jonah finds himself offering thanksgiving to the Lord for his deliverance. He could have drowned it. That could have been the end of it. The Ninevites would have never received the word from him. None of that would have taken place. But God kept him. God had a job for him to do. And that's the same message I want to give to you today. I don't care what we've done, what we've been through. I believe every one of us are on this earth for a reason. And you got to remember there are some things that you go through, other people need to know you went through that and that's going to help them down the road. There are people that think that they're not, they're worthless. Their life's no good. God can't use them again. We got to remember if God still got you here, God still prompting your heart, the Holy Spirit still convicting you of things and helping you with things, He's got a job for you to do. He didn't give up on Jonah when Jonah ran, He, he kept him. But when it comes to that baptized, like Jonah, we go through the depth of the water and rise again into new life when we're, Jonah was. It's not physical baptism that makes the difference. I've often told you that over and over again. It's not that pool that makes the difference. There's nothing supernatural about that pool. But it's what you're going, what you're showing people that has happened already in your heart. And it's a sign to them. That's why we have a baptismal service where people can all watch the ones that walk down into that pool. They have said, I'm, I'm saved, I want to be baptized, and this is a sign that I want to serve God. So Jonah, it's not the physical baptism that made the difference, but it was the spiritual change in Jonah's heart. Becoming a Christian is not simply a matter of being baptized. It's a matter of spiritual transformation. Romans 6, 4 They'll get that up there. My time's running out. 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. We're saved individuals. We need to walk in newness of life. And that's the point that's emphasized when we talk about the power of the resurrection. We become dead to the world, dead to sin, alive to God. Let me tell you something. This world, this devil, is going to push, push, push sin on you all the time. Every opportunity he can, he's going to try to push it on you. And we have got to look him in the face and say, I'm not part of you. I'm not going to be part of this. I'm a child of God and I'm going to rely on the power of God to serve him and walk in newness of life. Jonah found out that he had to die to the world. He had to die to his attitude. He had to die to what he wanted to do and do what God wanted to do. And it took a drastic thing to get his attention. And sometimes it takes drastic measures for God to get our attention. As far as the world was concerned, Jonah was buried under the water. Let me tell you something. We're going to find out when he, he was cast over, they said that we'll never see him again. And Jonah probably thought the same thing. But his prayer of thanksgiving, we'll get to. It was a prayer of deliverance. He was ready to go and preach the city of Nineveh. And he would become the sign to the Ninevites. Well, you're going to find out that it's true. True in Jonah's life. It will be true in our life. When we read the book of Jonah, it's not just reading a story about Jonah. And that's what I want you to realize. Every lesson that I teach is not just a lesson about Jonah. It's on the book of Jonah, but it's not about just him. It's about what you and I are going to experience personally. You can know God and the power of His resurrection. The same God that saved Jonah will save us from things that are happening in this world today. His power is at work. You remember what Paul said? We'll finish with Philippians 3.10. And Paul said it like this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, that we may know what Christ has been through, that we may know His resurrection power. And yes, we will even know some sufferings as a child of God. But no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, we can know that God is with us and helping us all along the way. Amen? Amen. Well, I think it's going to be good lessons. That's just an introduction. We'll get into chapter 1 next, next week. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.